Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. Well, good morning, Rivers Church. How are we doing? Good. I am good as well. Now, real quick, before we go any further, I want to take the opportunity to applaud again that generosity. If we could, just a round of applause for having triple that goal coming through. I love that. And I love that not just because we got to do some good giving, but in that moment, we applaud the Holy Spirit because he is the one who prompts us to give in that regard. So we praise his faithfulness. We praise the good work he's doing here at Rivers Church. What I have to say, I'm glad. It is a pleasure to be able to back here fellowshipping with you all. Some of you, this is the first time you've seen me in either a while or ever, uh, in which case, hello. Uh, My name's Taylor. My family and I have been attending Rivers Church for a bit now, and I have the pleasure of Pastor Tyrone and Amy inviting me to come and speak, and I'm very grateful for that opportunity. And for some, this is long-awaited proof that I still exist. Uh, It's been a minute. I had the privilege of helping facilitate our Freedom Conference, which was absolutely incredible. A round of applause if you got to experience that Freedom Conference. Oh, my gosh. Now, if you haven't had the chance to, do not worry because that ain't the only time we're gonna do that. That's gonna be coming back around and it's gonna be coming back around sooner than you think. So keep your ears open, keep your eyes open for the next time we start talking about that Freedom Conference. And if you had the experience uh, or if you had the blessing to experience that the first time we did it, come back. Come back and experience that again because I'm gonna spoil the entire conference for you right now. All it is is just spending uninterrupted time in the presence of God. And lo and behold, When you spend uninterrupted time in the presence of God, miraculous stuff happens. Because it turns out, as we just spend time in his presence, he works, he moves. Think about what he can do on a Sunday, whether you're joining us at a distance or here in person, and multiply that exponentially. Because God's math works a little bit differently than my math. I'm bad at math either way, so I like trusting his a lot more. And his is a lot more fun. Because you might think, okay, double the time with God, you know, he's gonna do twice as much. Oh no, he dreams way bigger than that. So look forward to the next time we do that Freedom Conference. But I'm blessed, even as we look forward to that, to be here with you all. Blessed in particular to be here this first Sunday after Christmas. Now, I learned a sobering fact recently. Apparently, Americans tend to consume, on average, 7,000 calories on Christmas Day. Christmas Day alone. 7,000 calories. I I heard this on a podcast, and one of the hosts was like, that can't be true. Wait, hang on, how many calories are in a cinnamon roll? Because I basically eat one of those every half hour. And that's when I just started nodding sagely of like, yeah, that math tracks. I'm bad at math, and that math tracks. Even my ability to just completely forget numbers, you know, that seems to track. Now, whatever your caloric intake I hope you had a blessed Christmas, whoever you did or didn't spend it with, because unfortunately that's the nature of the season. I pray that you were able to reflect well on your time with the Lord, whatever that looked like that day. 
even if it was just a brief realization as you were you know, spending time with family or reflecting yourself of, right, I have the opportunity today to celebrate the birth of my Lord. Even if it was something is that simple or something more involved, I pray the Lord spoke to you through that. I know I'm blessed to be able to come from that glorious day to this one that I can share with you all. And today I'm blessed to continue on a point that Pastor Tyrone spoke on briefly recently, the faith of the Magi, that group of sages, of astrologers from from one of the empires east of Israel, who, having seen the sign of Jesus' birth in the stars, traveled to proclaim his lordship, to worship him. But I'm not just here to rehash the faith of the Magi. We'll go back over that story a little bit. I'm really here to emphasize that the Magi's faith in Jesus was a faith well-placed, that it was a well-placed faith, that Jesus, for a host of reasons, was, is, and will remain a worthy object of our faith until that faith is fulfilled in his glorious return as king of his creation. That's what we're here to talk about today. And it's important that we recognize that Jesus is deserving of our faith, especially because it's easy, so easy, for us to put our faith in a lot of things that don't deserve it. Let's talk, for example, especially about our faith in numbers. Our faith in numbers takes a lot of different forms. Specifically, think about this. Think about a certain kind of number. Think about a year. A lot of people have put a lot of faith in one year in particular, this upcoming one, 2021. We hear that number a lot lately. We've heard it several times this morning. It's not a bad number in and of itself. It's just a number. It's a number that many of us look forward to for for good reason. It's been a tough year. It's been a heartbreaking year for a lot of people. Millions of deaths globally from a pandemic that still shapes our lives. Political divisions tearing families apart. Wounds from racial injustices we like to think we solved back in the 1960s and 1970s that are clearly still too present today. It's easy to forget all the hardship that's happened this year because it's just piled on. Time after time after time, it keeps piling on. And as a result, so many of us have placed our hope that 2021 will just be some kind of better. And 2021 will just be some kind of better. We dream about how much better things will be. We dream about life getting back to normal. We dream, I don't know if you identify with this, but about being able to cough without a room full of people looking at you in dread. I don't know if anybody else looks forward to that. When we moved here to Arizona, my family and I, you know, the the air quality here is, it has trouble sometimes. And we found out Sarah, my wife, struggles with a little bit of asthma. And she got a job at Starbucks shortly after COVID kind of came stateside. And it became this very awkward thing as she discovered she had this asthma, started to get this dry asthma cough. She just spent her entire day just being like, I'm sorry, it's asthma. I'm sorry, it's asthma. I'm sorry, it's asthma. Just all day long. I know she's very excited to be on the other side of that. So we dream about how much better things will be. We dream about seeing loved ones. We dream about reclaimed traditions. Christmas looked really different this year for a lot of us. And we dream about what that'll be like as we get to look forward to those traditions coming back. 
Maybe it's just because I'm a teacher, but we dream of never having to take another Zoom call in our lives. Maybe, maybe it's just me, if you relate with that. But here's the rub, though. There is no guarantee that this number, 2021, will be any better than the one that came before. There's just no guarantee. Years are just numbers. They are collections of months, weeks, days, and hours stuck together to make sense of the passage of time. They can't make promises. They can't love. They can't feel your pain. They can't comfort you at your darkest moments. They're just a number. That's why numbers, in this case, a particular year, aren't deserving of our faith. That's also why God is deeply deserving of our faith, because he can comfort you in your darkest moments. He can and does feel and know your pain. He loves you immensely, and wow, does he make promises. And even better, he keeps them. And some of those promises will be part of our focus today as we investigate why the Magi's choice to put their faith in and direct their worship toward Jesus was a very, very good decision. So let's remind ourselves about these wise men, particularly wise men, giving where they chose to put their faith by returning to the pages of the Gospel of Matthew that Pastor Tyrone pointed us towards a few weeks ago. Read with me, if you would, please, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I don't want us to miss one particularly poignant, particularly powerful moment in that story as we look at it. They bowed down and worshipped him. 
Now, as Pastor Tyrone told us, this this story of Jesus' birth, we have to stretch it out a little bit because the way that it's told in Scripture is a little bit speedier than it actually occurred. These magi most likely arrived months, if not a little bit over a year after Jesus' birth. But we're still talking about an infant, which having a three-year-old and still being able to remember what William, my son, was like as an infant I was not compelled to bow down and worship him, particularly when he was denying me sleep for long periods of time. I was not compelled to bow down and worship. But I'm so struck by the fact that that is what these magi were compelled to do. They knew in whose presence they were. They knew who was before them. They recognized in whom they had placed their faith Now, before we move on further, in case you haven't heard this before, because I just think it's really neat, I want to take the opportunity to unpack the significance of these three gifts that the Magi brought Jesus. Gold, incense, what we traditionally would get called frankincense, and myrrh. I just want you to understand that there is a meaning to each of these three gifts. First, gold was generally understood as a symbol of kingship or rule. It demonstrated rulership. By bringing gold, the Magi acknowledged the truth that they worshipped a king, not just an infant in a manger. It took me a sec to find the hole in my coffee cup. (laughs) Now, frankincense, a particular kind of incense, that represented deity or godhood, divinity, as it were. Because in that time, it was common for incense to be burned alongside prayer as an offering of sorts. It was meant to be a pleasing aroma that would accompany prayers as they went up to heaven. This is actually still practiced by some Christians as part of their collective worship. In certain fellowships, you'll have a particular figure. They'll come through you know, the aisle of a sanctuary, and they'll have a censer of incense going back and forth. So this is still a part of some people's worship today. So frankincense representing divinity or godhood. The final gift though, myrrh, it takes on a darker note as it was often used in embalming, a process that would take place after death. Thus, it acts as a symbol of death. What we now know to mean Jesus's foretold death on behalf of humanity to us of our sin and to make a way for us to fellowship eternally with our Lord. In that moment, the Magi, even Jesus's family, may not have fully understood what that gift meant. We now appreciate its significance today. So taken together, these three gifts symbolize rulership, divinity, and death. There is deep meaning to these gifts that they were offered. But they also served a very practical purpose. They weren't just symbolic. These gifts were deeply practical. Because all three of these, not just the gold, but the frankincense in the myrrh as well, fetched a high price in Egypt. Which if you keep following the story of Matthew, we see was the place to which Jesus' family was forced to flee to escape Herod's murderous persecution. And I love that even in these three gifts, we see the love of God summed up so beautifully 
These gifts speak to and fulfill millennia-old prophecies, prophecies that had stood for thousands of years. They have that deep symbolism to them, and they could be reflected on for a lifetime, and yet at the same moment, they meet practical daily needs. And if that's not a summation of the love of God, I don't know what is. Something that we can reflect on for our entire lives while also appreciating how it affects us day to day. The love of God is incredible in that way. It can occupy us for a lifetime while providing what we need in any given moment. We see then that these gifts possess great meaning, but they also symbolize the faith of the Magi, the faith they placed in the birth of Jesus, a faith well-placed. You don't bring these gifts at random, The Magi would have appreciated the significance of each of these gifts. This wasn't what some of us may have done, because I will say I saw some pretty crazy drivers on Christmas Eve. You know, you think, oh, I didn't get a gift for that person. And then you're sort of frantically traveling town or rummaging through a closet and desperately finding whatever you can to give. No, the Magi were much more intentional. They knew what they were bringing here. This is an expression of their faith. And the birth of Jesus stands as a particularly worthy object of faith in that it was foretold in multiple places in the Old Testament. Now, we might use the word, rather than foretold, we might use the word prophesied instead of foretold. We might say it was prophesied. But we should, however, make sure that we don't misuse the word prophesy or prophecy as it's used in Scripture. Because in the context of scripture, a prophet wasn't just someone who told the future. That's our modern meaning of that term. In the context of scripture, prophets were those who spoke the will of God, plainly and boldly, if not always eagerly. We see as we look at some of the stories as the prophets throughout scripture. But when they spoke, more often than not, they spoke the will of God plainly and boldly. And sometimes speaking God's will meant speaking about the present. We see this throughout the pages of scripture. Prophets often didn't just say things about the future. They would call Israel to repentance right They weren't saying, hey, get around to repenting eventually or else this will happen. It was, no, you need to repent. It was an immediate call. So sometimes to prophesy, to speak God's will is to speak about the present. Other times, speaking God's will meant speaking about the future, about how God would continue to work out his grand plan of reuniting with his creation, who he still so dearly loves despite our attempts to reject him. God works on both of those axes. He works in the present as well as in the future. And prophets speak forth his will in the present as well as in the future. And it's important that we understand this because in the pages of Scripture, if you read later on, the Apostle Paul says that he longs to see God's people prophesy. And that call falls to us today. And count yourselves blessed, if you don't know this already, that we fellowship in the presence of somebody, multiple people. In fact, I've been delivered with blessed words of prophecy by people physically in this room right now. 
But oh my gosh, if you haven't heard Pastor Amy prophesy before, you are in for a treat. That is a woman who speaks the will of God boldly for the present and into the future and praise God that we are blessed to be able to hear from the Lord through her. So we need to understand that as we look at what the prophets did at these specific moments, we see that they spoke to the future, but we need to also know that to prophesy can also mean to speak to the present. I want us to know that because as the Holy Spirit would bless you with a gift of prophecy, don't get mixed up thinking that means you have to predict something that hasn't happened yet. To prophesy means you can also speak forth the will of God for this very moment. Today, we will, though, look at a couple foretellings, a couple prophecies of the future that had to do with the birth of Jesus. The first foretelling that we'll look at today comes from the book of Micah, tiny little Old Testament book. These books are referred to as the minor prophets, not because of their importance, but simply because of their length. It's the only reason we refer to them as the minor prophets. They're just shorter than the books that we refer to as the major prophets. So read with me. It'll be up here on the screen from Micah 5.2. This speaks to the location of Jesus's birth. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old. So we see that that speaks to the location of Jesus's birth in Bethlehem. Another crucial foretelling speaks to the manner of Jesus's birth. From Isaiah 7, 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, if you've joined us for our messages leading up to Christmas, you are already familiar with the faith of Mary. How she was willing to upend her life and risk death by public execution to accept the call God placed on her life. Such was her faith. An incredible example for us. We also see here another important aspect of this foretelling that Jesus would be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Thus, we see this prophecy, this communication of God's will, speaks not only to the miraculous nature of Jesus' birth, but to the beautiful truth that God desired so much to connect with his creation that he made himself human, literally dwelling with us. And make no mistake, these are not the only Old Testament foretelling prophecies fulfilled in Jesus. From how he was born, to his lineage, to the prophet who preceded him, John the Baptist, to his healing ministry, to the way he spoke, to those who worshipped him, to his betrayal, to his brutal execution, to his resurrection, to his ascension into heaven. In all of those things, God spoke those forth through his prophets long before the living days of Jesus, and they were fulfilled in him. And a cursory look at scripture shows us that at least 51 different Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm not saying anything terribly revolutionary here. I want to be clear. 
All you have to do to see what I'm saying is take a look at the Gospel of Matthew. You will see this time and time again because Matthew was written for a specifically Jewish audience. So throughout that gospel, you will see this was done to fulfill and then a prophecy from the Old Testament. It's throughout the book. So if you want to take what we're talking about here and extend it, if you want something to do after this service today, just go take a look at the book of Matthew and see the beautiful way in which God knit his truth across history, wove his saving plan for his creation throughout time to see it fulfilled in the person of Jesus. It's truly incredible. So when the Magi chose to bring their gifts to this infant, who they rightly believed to be a king, They placed their faith in what little they saw, and it was a faith well placed. The rest of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection only affirms just how wise these wise men were. It's a good nickname that we've given them for today. Because when God makes promises, he keeps them. Look at the pages of scripture for the promises of God and you will find this to be true. When God makes promises, he keeps them. He makes them with people. People don't keep them. But God doesn't care. He keeps his side of that promise. When God makes promises, he keeps them. That's why faith in the promises of God, particularly in Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection, is always a faith well placed. So too is faith in his promised return as king over his creation, a day which we eagerly await, but not without action. For God has called us to spend each day advancing his kingdom by going and, as the end of the Gospel of Matthew tells us, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded us to do. We don't just wait for the promised return of our Lord. We have things to be doing each and every day. We have what we call a great commission on which our Lord has placed us. As the Magi from the East knew, faith in Jesus is a faith well-placed, faith in his birth, faith in his life, faith in his death, and faith in his resurrection. So my question then is this. What is the object of your faith as we approach this new year? Will you put your faith in a number that merely marks the passage of time that holds no promise of its own and does not, no, cannot love or care for you? Or will you put your faith, be it for the first time or again and again more each day in the God who keeps his promises, loves you and longs for you to know just how deep his love goes? 
And I want to invite, as we're going to keep going in our service in just a moment here, I want to acknowledge if this has been an experience in which the Holy Spirit, through anything that I've said, has brought you to a place where you would want to accept faith in Jesus for the first time. If that is something that you would want to do today, I'm going to pray in a little bit here. And if that's something that you would do, I have exactly one thing I need you to do as a follow-up. Yeah, tell somebody. And not keep that to yourself. If you're here with somebody, tell them. If you're not here with anybody, tell me. If you're joining us at a distance, text somebody, call somebody, go talk to your roommate if they follow Jesus. Tell someone. And with that, I want to ask that you please join me in prayer. Lord God, you have demonstrated time and time again that faith in you is a faith well-placed. You have shown us, Lord, that as we put our faith in you, as we join with countless generations who have placed their faith in you, that that is a faith well-placed. So, Lord, I pray you give us a good target for our faith, for our hope as we approach this new year. For God, if we put our faith in something as empty as a number, we will inevitably find ourselves disappointed. But Lord, if instead we would put our faith in you, we will find we have put our faith in one who keeps his promises, who loves us, and will sacrifice himself to be with us for all eternity. That is love, Lord. Because of that, you are worthy of our faith. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be moving in all of those who would hear me speak right now. And for those who this would be the first day where they would choose to follow you for the rest of their lives, compel them, Holy Spirit, to talk to somebody about it. Let them not even wait until we're done with this service. Let them talk to somebody about it right away. Let them be that excited. Stir that passion in them. Holy Spirit, we love you, Lord. Lift this up to you in your son's holy name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.